get it eventually hey there welcome to motorcycles and misfits here at the recycle garage in uh, not so sunny santa cruz california um you know again we're we usually don't talk about the date but it's now um april what is it the sixth what am i right Uh, fifth fifth to 2020 and we're saying the date now because this is a time that we are all going to be remembering because we are still in the middle of the COVID-19 pandemic um so this is definitely we're kind of like a, a a a diary of this time of what we're going through, but still coming to y'all every week. And so I want to introduce who we have with us this week. Hey everyone, this is Liza and I'm herding cats on the zoom with us. We're doing zoom cause we are not all in the room together. Of course, we've got everyone's favorite miss Emma. Hello, darling, and I am a feral cat. Meow, meow, meow. Prepare <laughs> to be herded. Exactly, exactly. Uh, coming from his home, we've got Bagel. I am still alive and I am well. I hope you are too. Cheers. Yeah. And it is kind of weird to have us all, uh, you know, in different locations, but I'm glad we're still getting together and doing this. Uh, wearing the pretty orange headphones. Hopefully the audio will be better this time. It's Naked Jim. Hey, peace, love, and soul, and social distance like a boss. That's what I got to say. <laughs> there you go. And we got some new people joining us um, today. Let's get right to them. We've got Connie. Oh, Connie, you're muted now. There you go. Hi, this is Connie from Oakland. Glad yeah, to be here. there you go. Dude, it's not raining in Oakland, is it? It's beautiful. The sun is out. It's gorgeous. Oh, uh, dude. Right. It's dumping here. I mean, hey, dumping. Bike back there? Huh? Is that Connie's bike there behind uh, Yeah, Yeah, exactly. Uh, you just heard, that is Lucy. Uh, not Ramon, because I'm on the kid's computer. He had technology going before I did. But yeah, Lucy. Lucy, um, thank you for joining us. Lucy, where are you? Welcome, Ramon. (laughs) Thank you. I'll tell. I'll pass it along. (laughs) Oh, no, no. It's stuck now. You're done. What city are you in, Lucy? I'm in uh, Daly City, California, just outside San Francisco. And then uh, last but not least, only because Knock has not shown up yet, it's Emily. Hi, it's me. Hey. In uh, San Francisco, and it is a very bright gray outside. (laughs) <laughs> we've all got different weather yeah i mean we i mean normally when it rains it doesn't dump as hard as it has been here it makes it feel even more apocalyptic when you hear about things like the earthquake in idaho and then it's just been like dumping rain here and all these unusual things on top of this you know pandemic that we're going through it is definitely crazy times so i've got a question have uh, any of you ridden your bikes this week there will be no shaming, by the way. I've no. Nope. Damn you. <laughs> I did ride. I did a delivery. So 
I was yeah. taking some bolts of fabric from Alameda to Oakland. So I went all of about four miles. Nice. And, and Emily, you're you ready? Very carefully. Emily, you don't have no, a car, I, do you? I can't ride. Oh, what is that? Oh, my oh. goodness. Wah, wah. I'll give you one guess how it happened. <laughs> It's like a bowling thumb. I've seen it before. That's what happened. Yeah, Yeah, you go. Is that a full cast or just a a wrap? No, just this. But um, oh, what happened? What happened? I managed to high side at zero miles an hour on some wet leaves. Oh, Oh. Yeah. yeah. And how is the bike? It is. Perfect. Okay, good. Because that's what we so all I've care got, about. Exactly. You took I've one got for something the to ride. Mm-hmm. Nice. You're welcome, guys. Well so, Thank are you, you are you guys all um, staying in shelter for the most part, or are you guys going through your daily life? Oh, I lost you. Oh, Liza, your audio is jacked. Uh oh. Uh oh. Uh oh. It isn't Liza. Frozen to me. I'm. Oh wait. Yep. Wait. Wait. It's coming back. Wait for it. Wait for it. Yeah, it's coming back. The squirrel. Am I back? <laughs> yeah, you're We're back. back. Yeah. Great. Um, I'm plugged in um, on wired internet. So if it's going out, I think it's the rain. It's really wreaking havoc. Um, so, yeah, are you guys staying in shelter for the most part? Or are you guys uh, having to go out to work? I've been working. So I've been I've been writing most days between working and going shopping. Um you know, so I, cause I, I commute to work normally and I work over the hill. Um, you, um, city government. And you clean up hobo camps, right? What's that? Uh, we're trying to keep the transient population from spreading the disease. So <laughs> fucking shut up. <laughs> no, seriously. Wow. That's, I mean, that's pretty intense work. I'd like to hear about that sometime. Yeah. Well, it's not as, yeah. Anyway, I work in like parks and open space and stuff. And basically we're just trying to, we're trying to do our part to stop this as quickly as we can. And it's a difficult dance between keeping people at home, but yet providing services to the public. And I think everybody gets it um, that are needed, which require people to be out there. So um, yeah, I've been riding every day, but it's been great because 17's empty mm-hmm. and, uh, and you can get going pretty good. Connie, just know that before this whole pandemic, his biggest foe was a Girl Scout troop. True story. <laughs> oh, yeah, no. No, that's, she's, working in government story, it, working in government. sounds like another story yeah, yeah. Um, but, but there's a lot to talk about writing just i mean like the different environment all the different the ways things have changed um, exactly and we were talking earlier i mean um i'm out there i'm not writing i'm out there driving for work and i'm constantly being passed by people doing 100 plus miles an yeah. hour for mm-hmm. sure. I and see. I just don't get it. I am rarely in the number one lane anymore just for that reason. Because mm-hmm. there's always somebody in whatever car, yeah, doing like a buck 30 and you know they can't see you. I'm doing yeah, 80, 85 because that's what the flow is going. And I'm not in the left lane because people keep coming up my ass. Um, it's crazy. And then there's even the people weaving through who are doing 100 plus. And I'm like, is this really necessary? <laughs> it's Mad Max. Yeah. Well, here, here's another observation I'll make. I was in my truck uh, one day last week, and uh, anyway, I almost I almost ran a red light. I was on El Camino Real, which is a big, you know, big semi-urban street, and uh, there was nobody on it. And I was thinking about just thinking about other things, and I I didn't run the light, but it's probably the closest in a long time. I came to blowing right through a red light, and it had I would have been doing like 30 and T-boned, and a car just happened to be, and I would have T-boned it. So 
I think people are just kind of little, they're, they're not focusing like they used to. Yeah, I can relate to that, especially because for me, I've been home for these past few days and I haven't been riding at all. I rode some last week and everything was clear and empty and I just got right on, did 85, got all the way there. I was like, woohoo, this is great. But having sat down for almost five days in a row now and not gone out, when I was out today driving to the city and back, I was completely distracted, completely mm. I'm still just kind of head in 12 other places. It's not cool. Yeah, well, and, and we're all stressed out a lot right now, so it's going to be affecting all of us in different ways. Yeah. Well, if I can put a, just a positive story, is that sometimes I wake up at 5.30 in the morning to go walking to the beach and back before anybody's out, and I'm walking down uh, Vicente and this parks and rec truck, and there's two sets of speed bumps, he just comes flying down at like 40 miles an hour, <laughs> does not put on his brakes, and just flies over both of them like they were whoops. It was fantastic. So, <laughs> don't we all? This is an example of how wonderful this can be. Yeah. Irresponsibility. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, I wanted to get into um, why we had you join us. So, you guys are all part of the Dames Don't Care Motorcycle Collective. Is that how? Is that right? I got it all right. Yeah. Um, yes. Emily, Dames don't care motorcycle. Can you describe? <laughs> I know. I think we've mentioned. But I think we've mentioned the Dames before. But can you um, explain what the Dames <laughs> Don't Care Motorcycle Collective is? Sure. Well, we started out kind of with the idea of helping or finding and helping women <laughs> learn how to ride because uh, we talked to a lot of women who had ridden, you know, with their boyfriends or their husbands or with their brothers or their uncles, and they felt really intimidated by the macho atmosphere and didn't really want to keep going with them, but wanted to keep riding, but they were intimidated by riding by themselves. So we thought we would be a good alternative. And so it started out that way, but now it's grown into kind of everybody, let's just go ride, which is really, really cool. I think we just passed a thousand members on Facebook Whoa. and we, um, I know, yay. And all yeah, seven right of them have ridden with us. <laughs> But um, so, yeah, now we're really about doing things. And I don't even like to bring sex into it because we're women doing cool things for the entire community. Um, and the things we do, um, like the Treasure Island Motorcycle TT, uh, Mini Moto, and uh, the Sadie Hawkins ride, those are really meant for an entire community. It's not meant for just, just the ladies to you know, to hang out together. It's like, let's bring everybody together. And everybody is so great. They just, everyone wants a part to help and be a part of it. And so it's worked out very well, I think, for the San Francisco motorcycle community, at least. You know, Emily, as a dame who hasn't been with you since the beginning, I can uh, affirm that it's never just seemed like a chick group. And um, that's been apparent since I've stuck my nose in the flow. And it's... uh, it's perfect. Oh. <laughs> Good story. Thanks. Like so so I, I, can, I can say a little bit here. Um, I came to San Francisco for like the third time in my life about two and a half years ago. And I was getting my bike work done at Monroe and Brent was there. And he thought I was an interesting perky person and kind of perky and all excited about writing. And he's like, do you know Emily? And I said, no. And he's like, well, you should really get to know the dames. And so because of his recommendation, I went on Facebook and I joined and I didn't meet anyone for like a year. 
Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then for the Werwer thing, Liza kind of got Emily and I together. We worked real well together. And since then, well, right since the introduction, I went on a couple of rides. I got to know some people and it's a great group. Yes, God, you two I'm just were. I'm happy to hear you say, uh, sorry. Go ahead. I'm just happy to hear you say Werwer. Because every time I go to refer to it, I, I fumble all over the place. And uh, I'm going to say were were from now on. Yeah. And yeah, you, you two were instrumental in organizing uh, the party in San Francisco. So thank you very much for that. That was thank a you. blast. Thank I, that was I a was, great party. I was shot. It I was, was super fun. Shot. Well done. I was like... I was Yay. I was ready to tap out. Well, it was so nice to have some. Right? I didn't have to organize. You guys just did everything. Well, oh, it was good. a great ride, right? We should talk about the ride maybe a little bit. You guys had an awesome ride, right? That was killer. Uh, yeah, going through the city at night, blocking traffic and all that stuff was wild. Oh, that was Rose. That yeah. was Rose. Yeah. Totally was Rose. Yeah. She, and she and even to make it a really bona fide San Francisco ride, there was a jumper on the bridge. Yeah. <laughs> Really? Really, Liza? Yeah, that's really. why they were like so late. Yep. Yeah. That's what Trace oh. was. Yeah. But anyway, but then we get yeah. there and there's food, like like potluck food, like a whole yeah. bunch of it, and music, and like everybody having a blast. And motor, it was like motorcycle repair shop because it was um, motorcycle up there. Yeah, motorcycle, and uh, it was killer. Yeah, it was so much fun. Good times. But oh, good. You guys are doing something pretty amazing right now, and um, I found out about it through different people posting on Facebook and I thought this is really rad and I wanted to share with the world what you guys are doing because I'm hoping other people might pick up on this. So you guys started a program where, see if I get this right, you're having people make surgical masks at home and then you're collecting them and delivering them. Is that how it's working? Tell me exactly what you're doing. Let me Lucy. say this a little bit. Yeah. Um, we're more in the delivery business. So okay. we, we called it Dames Do Care. Just changed that. Emily was like, you know what? Let's do this. And I said, we can't say we care. It's just too much. Anyway, Dames Do Care. <laughs> volunteer delivery. That's great. And uh, we're actually delivering what other people are making. So we are working with uh, several organizations that are crowdsourcing materials and uh, completed PPE. And then we're delivering that. So we're not really in control of anybody um, directing that, that, that craft. You know, we're not, we're not putting the requests out there. We're just connecting the people. We're connecting mm -hmm. the makers and we're connecting the need, the, the people and facilities that need it. You know what? We wrote this shit up and Emily had a, a really great write-up and I should have let you say it. Uh, because it was very concise, Emily. So who, whose idea was it? It was, you know how it happened? Somebody said to me, can you it was Lucy's deliver say it? <laughs> <laughs> and I said, okay, let me, um, just ask somebody if anybody can help deliver this stuff. Cause I saw this cool article about these chicks in New York and like, it's just the picture, the image for the article, it's this chick on her bike and it's like nighttime and she's got her mask on under her helmet. And I was like, yeah, that's what we need to be doing. And, uh, I put a little post up on dames. I said, Hey, you think anybody might want to do this? And wham, and like 
three hours one day we had 30 volunteers and um everybody's just really eager and willing and it's it's fucking amazing and it's important because um you know, at first the, everyone started wearing masks, but then everyone ran out. And now our our medical professionals don't have them. Um, I personally delivered about 30 masks that I found while cleaning the garage. Somebody had dropped off some surgical, actual surgical masks. Um, and I found them in a stack and I delivered them to my friend who works at a hospital in town. And she was stoked because um, all the medical professionals I know are getting one a day. Yeah. That's mm-hmm. it. That's all their ration. And those are people who need them. Um, wow. And so, therefore, I, that's why I think they told the public, you don't need to wear masks. You really don't, because we needed mm-hmm. to get them all to medical professionals. Now they're starting well, to say, actually, you should be wearing masks. <laughs> so the fact that you guys are doing this is at exactly the right time, because you're helping to fulfill the needs of the medical professional, especially when... Oh, look at Connie showing us. Connie, you know, this is an audio podcast. So Connie's holding (laughs) up these custom fabric masks. And I love all the different designs, too. Are we going to talk about how you can get those and that kind of stuff? Those look great. So so what was happening for me is I responded to Lucy's uh, call out on Dames and was like, I'll start a spreadsheet. You were the first. Never volunteer. Connie, you were the first volunteer and you you. Officialized, you made it official that we're doing a thing. I'm like spreadsheet, Google Docs, <laughs> perfect. <laughs> and uh, but I had already been sewing for about a week or so and feeling overwhelmed. I had a friend call me personally and put a, a note out on the internet that she worked at a nursing home and they had zero mm-hmm. surgical masks. They were at the bottom mm. of the list. Um, they were in a, uh, a high-risk nursing home. They have 144 staff. They had wow. zero masks. So I was working with another friend in the Bay Area to get as many masks as, as possible. We, of course, have the SIP, the shelter in place. We couldn't get out or, you know, you can't just go shopping. So then the call went out, grassroots effort, people with uh, hoarding fabric, as you know, some people do, and they started offering it up. So then there was the question of who delivers it and how does it get there? So when Lucy posted hey is anyone interested I was like hell yeah what a great idea because here I was already struggling with getting the fabric from Hayward to yeah. me, perhaps to cut and sew and then once it was done who's going to get it to the hospital so I saw there was a need and when she when she said that I was like this makes so much sense yeah you know it's I started out sewing my own masks too and I was joining all these cute little mask groups and realized really quickly how uncute it was and how dire everybody's really feeling but, um, you know, when I had a couple of volunteers to offer up, I started just posting around saying, hey, we can go pick that up. You know, you don't have to get out of the city. We've all got our helmets and PP on anyway. We'll go pick that up and you can stay sewing. And um, it's, it just got bigger and bigger and bigger. And the first two requests that I put out so we've got like 45 people who volunteered, lickety-split. Uh, I, I started trying to get the word out there, and we had two requests. And, you know, the first request was in the city, but the second was like, you know, Oakland to, to San Jose or something. That's, that's kind of far. And from that point on, each and every request that I send out to our volunteers, I get an answer in like two minutes. You know, it's, it's people are so willing to do it and it, it's giving everybody it so how does this work so somebody who's in need of masks contacts you and puts in a request and says how many they need 
No, so I'm I'm the we're the middle people. Mm-hmm. We are working f- with several organizations who are accepting requests. Um, there are so many, but um, uh, a lot of them have websites and Facebook pages where you can request uh, a number of masks, or not even just masks, um, face shields, mm-hmm. gowns, all any of that stuff. A lot of 3D printing, like some serious makers. It's it's yeah. amazing. Um, so you'll go to their website or whatever and request the masks. And then that organization throws out the request to its group of makers. And the makers furiously make the stuff. And then they report back. And then that organization contacts us and says, go round the stuff up and take it to this place we've uh, we received the request from. Got it. So ideally, we have a solid pickup and a solid destination so you're the transportation between the two this is pretty awesome you know what i think is cool about eliza is remember we saw a picture a while back it was like a triple a you know emergency vehicle but it was a yellow motorcycle and we're like that's so so why why don't we see that all the time it's so common sense and even it was just a bike with a battery charger Mm -hmm. and a gallon of gas and you know some kleenexes or something but it's such a smart, efficient way to get around. And it's like, how, how can this stuff that hasn't catch on more? But it's, I guess maybe that's one of the things about this time right. is it's showing us a smarter way to live or a different way to do, you know, to support ourselves. Well, you know, um, motorcycles as, as means of getting things around are a lot more mainstream in Europe. It seems like America would definitely be behind the curve here. But if you, anywhere in Britain, anywhere on the continent, if you, need a paramedic in the city the chances are he or she'll arrive on a motorcycle mm-hmm. and dispatch riders getting documents around it's a staple of london life and has been for many many years so in most of know, the world right yeah. yeah exactly and it's not like that here because i i, I have sent out our request to every medical institution that I can find, everybody who's out there saying stuff. And I've sent it to so many people, including Kaiser Permanente. And I got the sweetest, kindest uh, uh, rejection letter from them. And I could just, uh, I could just imagine somebody over there reading, thinking, okay, are we actually going to hire this band of rebel motorcyclists? (laughs) A, you know, not staying the fuck home and B, riding their horrible motorcycles. They're probably just going to end up here in the ER. How can we possibly ask them to deliver for us? And, and sure enough, they didn't. But she said it in such a sweet way. She's like, no, thank you. Thank you for your kind, kind offer. But we need to really blah, blah, blah. And I think it's important to also um, uh, take note that a lot of our members at Dames also have four-wheeled vehicles. And yeah. some of these deliveries, like those huge rolls you picked up the other day, those couldn't have been done on a motorcycle, but I have a car, I have a motorcycle. I'm willing to use either one of them, depending on the distance, the time of day, the weather, you know, it's, it's more about activating the group of people who have this spirit of volunteerism and that they want to do it for the sake of the, for the good, for helping others. And I think that's the core to this. And it's really awesome. It's about community. And that's what it comes down to all the time about, you know, being a biker. It's about the community and that you guys already have this network of your people. And I think it's so great that you guys stepped up and are doing it. Do you have any idea how many masks you've delivered so far? Well, it's not just masks. It's also like those no. rolls of fabric. That you, yeah. 22, wasn't it 22,000 masks could have been made from oh. or, or being 
uh, yeah, die cut yeah. out of the rolls you guys delivered? It was so cool that that place, that laser cutter. Yeah, twenty five thousand masks will be cut from that. Wow. The, so she picked so, up the rolls from one place and delivered it to a place that was cutting it. That's pretty yeah. cool. So, are you still taking? Can anybody be a part of this network? Do you have to be a dame or a woman to be a part of this? Hell no. That's that's something I like about the dames. You guys are uh, not exclusive. You are very you can inclusive. Be whoever you want to be and be in our group. It doesn't matter at all. We love everybody. So anyone who wants to come in and take their bike or their car and go deliver masks for people, they're doing a world of good. So you know, how can people um, how can people be a part of this in the Bay Area? I'll give you Lucy's personal number. (laughs) (laughs) Reach Lucy, please leave me. So I guess uh, probably through games, but yeah, or that. Sorry, not talking Um, to Bria. It's fine. I don't know if it's cool to give emails over. Should they go uh, to Facebook? The Dames Don't Care Motorcycle Collective. That's a good. We're also the Dames Do Care Motorcycle or. Dames do care volunteer um, there you go. delivery. That sounds so. like a good way. Um, and what yeah. about this? Who's the best person or what's the best way to contact you if somebody somewhere else in the country or the world would like to do something like this and they want some advice? Who should they contact? Uh, Any of us, I think. Yeah. Okay. So dames do care. Dames do yes. care. Just, just, dames just for a minute. Care. Just during the quarantine and then we're back to hate and everything. So I wanted, I also wanted to point out that uh, all of this is done free of charge to the people asking and the people receiving. So no one is being charged money for this. It is all volunteer. That means every person, every rider, their own gas, they're paying their own tolls, all of this. We would like to help offset that. And there is a GoFundMe. Uh So if you don't ride or don't want to ride or not in our area, and you think that this is something that you would like to support, we are accepting money. um, And it will all go to the cause, basically. Um, Some riders have more money than others. Some have the capability of funding their own stuff. Some people don't, but they're very generous. And we'd like to help support the people who need some financial support to help make this happen. Definitely. And something I want to add to that is anything left over, we are um, giving to a charity that we've been working with. Yeah. And so far, you know, only like one person has asked for any um, compensation has turned it. Yeah. Any compensation. So, I mean, we're going to use it to um, we're going to make up some some cool stickers that uh, Emily had designed and a, a flyer that Emily designed. Um, so that's, that's so far the only thing we're spending the money on. Nice. Just as sort of a gift package for all the riders who are riding, like, a something to identify themselves with and, uh, have their own fancy fabric mask, like one of Connie's beautiful ones. And, um, just so that, uh, they're as safe as they're hoping other people will be after the delivery. Yeah. So, and I wanted to talk for a minute about something else that you organize, the Treasure Island, is it the, the TT? T-I-T-T? Yeah. All right. The Treasure Island TT, T-I-T-T. T-I-T-T. <laughs> I just now realized how funny that is. Absolutely. Okay. There's a whole Monroe Motors sweatshirt line. 
of just TITT <laughs> corner workers. It's fantastic. Okay, so first of all, for people thing. who aren't from here, describe Treasure Island. What is it? So Treasure Island is a weird little lump of <laughs> land in between Oakland and uh, San Francisco. It's well, the Yerba Buena Island is an actual island. Treasure mm-hmm. Island is just landfill used for military stuff. It's completely poisonous ground. Now they're making it very fancy. Yeah, it's a, but, so it's um, an old military base. That's an island in the middle of the bay. Yes, with mm-hmm. housing, but also a lot of abandoned buildings. Mm-hmm. And it so, has for, uh, many, for many years just kind of been desolate. Yeah, yeah. They put some... Um, there's been, you know, there's, I guess I noticed, and Lucy spent a lot of time out there with Moto Guild. Mm-hmm. Um, they definitely started, um, you know, at slowly adding in, um, you know, tasting rooms and a restaurant yeah, here or there. Nice. And suddenly the market doesn't sell booze or something. It's weird stuff. Yeah. And there's, um, there's housing on there and there's different, uh, there's larger buildings, smaller buildings, warehouses, a little bit of everything. I think a water treatment plant. Um, and it's slowly just been, people have been moving in and taking over more and more of the space. So there's less and less abandoned streets, but there's like parks and all this stuff and it's been crazy. Um, yeah. So we mentioned that the, um, uh, the uh, sorry, what's the garage? The garage, uh, Moto Guild. Moto Guild had moved there a couple of years ago, and that's where we went to go see um, Paul Brown's um, uh, well, dirt bag, dirt bag challenge. For I guess it was just there for a year or two before they pissed. It was just there off. for a year, a yeah. year before they pissed everyone off. Um, <laughs> I, which I'm surprised that the TT hasn't pissed everyone off. So explain what the TT is. So it's, we called it the Treasure Island Tourist Trophy. Mm-hmm. And what we decided, I think, with zero knowledge was that to be a TT, it had to have both right and left turns and a jump. Is that true? <laughs> I don't even know. That sounds kind of arbitrary. Emma, does that sound sounds right? Good. Yeah, it's fine. It's fine. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Good enough. Yeah, exactly. Is there other motorbikes in it? Yeah, checks out. So yeah, yeah it's, it's it's all good. <laughs> yeah, it's great because it's um we it's one twenty five and under four stroke eighty and under two stroke, um, races and uh, it's usually kind of garbage lighting. Um, everything's clearly been slapped together. Uh, but we love it so, and we get amazing people to come race. I don't even want to say the names of some of the people that raced because they're, I feel like it might screw up their sponsorship. But last year we got one guy, Brock McAllister said he was going to come. And then a whole line of people said they were coming. So it it is no joke racing through the city streets at night. It's not, right? No, not this. No, it's not. It's not in the streets. this is turn left. No, there's there's both. Yeah, yeah there's left and right. It wouldn't be a TT. But it's on it's on the streets there, right? <laughs> it is, but it's only like we are absolutely doing all the illegal things. We're blocking off. Oh yes, yes. You know roads we shouldn't. Uh, okay. Um, but it's not just kind of going all around. It's this little course we planned out. I'm not going right. to say who, but um, the two guys who planned the track are both from Supermoto USA, so they know what they're doing with planning a track. But that was my point. It's and, not on an actual track. It's on these streets oh no. that are kind of been abandoned that you take over at night and put up like bales of hay and, <laughs> and poor Correct. lighting. And there are people out there on <laughs> mini bikes and track suits racing like 
hell around these streets and it looks yeah. like total chaos proper hooligan shit yeah it's proper hooligan shit yes there we go <laughs> how have you not been shut down I feel like there is someone watching over us because honestly, I'll try to make this story quick. Last year or the last year we did it, um, the cops pulled up and I went to go talk to him. And my kind of plastered friend was like, I'll talk to him. (laughs) And she lives there. So we're like, okay, this could go poorly. And she, I guess the cops knew that we had done it before. And they were like, you look, Oh no, this is what my friend said. She said, they have done this three years now, and this is the safest it's ever been. And I don't know how that meant anything, but the cops were like, okay. <laughs> and then, but they sort of knew her. And then the next day they went up and said, Alex, um, I just want to say thank you. We worried all night about whether or not we should have broken this up, but um, I can't even tell. There's one motorcycle glove and some hay like, blowing around in the road, but that's it. So they told us, kind of, you know, informally that we were welcome back. However, Treasure Island's a no-go now. It's a mess. <gasps> yeah, um, because too many people are there. Raised. It's just a, a, yeah. a wasteland. And the few businesses that are still uh, in operation, like Moto Guild and a couple yeah. of cafes, they're all just uh, little, uh, little islands yeah. in this wasteland. It's getting well, harder and harder to, to be a hooligan right now. <laughs> well, you can't do it Crying now. Shame. Trust me, I've been checking it out. But the one thing I <laughs> about Treasure Island is the views of San Francisco oh, are like yeah. world class. The views because yeah. you're at this little lump of land. That was the best thing ever. They're um, about to put some bad damn skyscrapers gorgeous. right there on that view. They're oh, building a little jetty of uh, landfill. For oh, that no. So, what are you going to do for TT this year? We're talking about it because actually we were talking about doing it earlier in the year. So I'm glad we didn't plan that. Um, I think we're going to have to move either to Oakland or somewhere um, in Daly City has been brought up. Uh, Lucy, you might know about that, but we're basically going to have to hope it's that cool, (laughs) you know, anywhere else. So I think people look at a spot and they're like, that would be great, but they're not thinking about, huh? Maybe we could get the uh, Burlingame Marina to give us their little loop-de-loop out to the marina. That would be fun. That would be fun. How about the Alameda and those old barracks are um, there you go. deserted out there? There's a lot of room Somebody told there. me the Alameda cops ain't so hot, so oh, I don't true. know. Oh, because you're still Neither trying to do this city. all like shady, huh? Oh, yeah, we don't want to do it for real. <laughs> that would take all the fun out of it. <laughs> Wow. Uh, can we hey, offer something up here in Santa Cruz? I just Cruz? wanted to say one more thing. Yeah. It's been a week now that we've been doing the vo- uh, the volunteer deliveries. And at first, when we started and got everybody uh, on board and tried to set out some guidelines and stuff, we were all really excited, you know, and we still are really excited um, to be helping, to be offering, to be doing this thing, to be doing some righteous writing, you know, just, you're not supposed to ride all that. But it, now that it's been a week, I'm really becoming aware of the, the, the anxiety that the medical community is feeling, mm-hmm. uh, like the, 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 it's not even a calm, but the race before the storm hits, you know, it's like, we have this ability right now to run 
and gather and there's momentum and there's people still standing, you know, and, but I, I, I think, you know, the shit's about to hit the fan and uh, it feels like we're doing as much as we can right now. People are just furiously making stuff as fast as they can right now. And it's, it's not about us anymore at all. I mean, never was, but it's, it's not about just getting out there and doing something. It's about what can you do? Well, I love too that you guys found a way to to channel that and to not be helpless, but to help. I think that's really cool, and I think there are a lot of people out there who are just sitting at home, um, or just still just kind of going through the motions of their life, not knowing how to help or what yeah. to do. So you guys have become a, a part of that, and I can see this happening in lot every state, every state, every country. Yeah, I've reached out to a couple of people. Like I had to learn how to Slack, right? Slack, I don't know if you guys know what Slack is, but it's like this online thing where- <laughs> I sure do. You're right? I didn't know. I've been practicing my, my whole Zoom, life. You know, my- <laughs> <Really>? <laughs> well, I- What's that, Ramon? Slacks, right? <laughs> uh, catching up, catching up. But, um, and there's uh, other people in LA and in Oregon saying, oh, can you deliver to Oregon? I'm like, no. But, you know, if you know anybody in the motorcycle community, I say hit them up because they're probably going to say yes. You know? Totally. Yeah. Yeah. Liza, did I see you making masks earlier? Did you have a mask? <laughs> yeah, I had a superhero mask on. <laughs> they told me to wear a mask. I did. <laughs> oh yeah we should have all masked up for this yeah so if anybody if anybody listening is looking where to get a mask or make a yeah. mask it's all on facebook find something in your neighborhood in your area um reach out to those groups that are on facebook you know if you only need a couple very cool jim uh, jim's <laughs> um, got a mask right? i need my own mask <laughs> I have my own mask. Is that fucking boss or what? <laughs> it's called the Ocean NA for two. The Dames group is not necessarily making masks, but if you find somebody who has some masks for you, there's a good chance a Dame might be able to deliver it to you. So Awesome. Yeah. Well, thank no, you guys for, for doing I'm all sorry. this. Go ahead. Can I say one last thing? Right. Lucy <laughs> first and then Emily. Okay. And one of us. <laughs> Lucy, go ahead. So there are um, a couple of organizations that we're doing a lot of work with and I think are doing some awesome stuff. And one is Make Me PPE Bay Area. Mm -hmm. uh, she kind of started the same way we did. She said, hey, you want to make a mask, mom? Let's make some masks. And... I want to make some, and boom, she's got this like group of people making masks and she's mm -hmm. really organized and she's parsing out mm -hmm. the requests and we're, we're, it's awesome. So make me PPE Bay area and um, the seamsters union seamsters in San nice. Francisco. <laughs> yeah. mm. They're doing a lot of great work. And um, of course, get us. <laughs> Emma's just now <laughs> discovered Jim's mask. <laughs> Oh God! It. it looks like something a third grader made. I'm gonna. How many? I can make these pretty quickly. What do you need? A couple hundred? I can probably, I'll ten thousand. Ten thousand. Yeah, Jim, upload the pattern on uh, Facebook, would you? I Hey, just so you know, Jim, this is going over real big on an audio podcast. <laughs> <laughs> to post a picture. Online. He looks. He looks like a jack o' lantern, basically. 
Yes. <laughs> you know, just don't hate on me because I'm trying to help the effort. Lies. All right. Make some too. Lucy, I don't <laughs> Jack, think you were done Jack yet. Something. Was I? Was I? Well, you uh, said make me PPE. Yeah. Um, also, the seamstress. And masks now is a one, but I think there are masks now. Okay. Yeah, there's a couple of nationwide groups. Masks now. Great. There's also um, make masks 2020. And um, so basically, all you have to do is go to Google and type in mask or make mask, and you can find something. It's not going to be a hard. So you can possibly reach out to these organizations and say, hey, can I help deliver? Yeah, totally. And on on our Facebook page, we have a lot of that stuff right in there. So um, nice. If you're you're personally in dire need right now, there's all kinds of things on the Internet now showing how to fold a bandana Mm -hmm. in a way that's actually quite effective. Check it out. Try to wear one when you go outside. It will definitely help stop the contagion. You know, I've been wearing um, my buff Mm because I think a lot of us have buffs for writing. Mm -hmm. So I've been using that. Oh, yeah. Like your, uh, yeah, buff. Your neck buff. And um, I call it a neck warmy. Emily, one of the things I was getting. Yeah, go ahead. Emily, I was Um, going to say. Oh, I do. (laughs) And it actually, that segued quite perfectly because I just, somebody had posted on Dames about how you can make a mask out of um, blue shop towels. It's cool because they're sort of figuring this out as they go along, like, oh, let's try this. And then they find, oh, that filters, I forgot how much, what, how many times more um, fantastic contagions than, than cotton, you know, and you can essentially make that you know, with duct tape and a mask, <laughs> like some staples or something, or and some paper towels. So, um, yeah, so things are developing. And so we're doing just the real simple fabric masks now. But I think soon we'll all have the capacity to do a little bit, a little more advanced with um, materials that are going to be available. Nice. Well, cool. Thank you guys very much for coming on and, and telling everyone about this. Um, Thank you, Liza. Dames do care. That's what you got to remember. Dames do care. care. (laughs) Yeah, and and if you if you know of some desolate street somewhere where where they may be able to get away with having a a hooligan TT, reach out to Emily. (laughs) (laughs) Please do. Please do. We need it nice cool well thank you guys very much um you're welcome to stay on if you want we're gonna talk about more misfit stuff including um emma's gonna talk about wankers (laughs) (laughs) i know plenty of them (gasps) oh look at that look at that right wow you know exactly what we're talking about (laughs) yeah close enough <laughs> Close enough. <laughs> nice. Yeah. Did you guys want to stay, or this is your chance if you want to bump out? Because Emma is going to share. Thank you very much, Connie, Thanks. for joining us. Nice to meet you all. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, everybody. Good to meet you. Good Thank to you. Meet you. Great to meet you. Bye. Take care. Thanks for all you do. Bye. <laughs> Take guys. care. Thanks for the uh, opportunity, Liza. Yeah, no problem. Thanks for coming on. Appreciate all it. All right. So, um, Emma, we had prepared a, a history hole. Well, we did, but I, I just want to talk for a minute yeah. about Dames Don't Care because, I mean, they are consistently great ambassadors 
for motorcycling, mm -hmm. whether you're a boy or a girl, they're just, God, they're great ambassadors. I'll second that. That line that uh, the Rose led through San Francisco as part of the World War trip from Reno, right. that was one of the most fun freaking rides I've ever been on because it was so exciting and just dangerous enough. But between Dames and the SFMC, who kind of shepherded the event a little bit as well, it was, it was a blast. The, the, the scenery was amazing and it was just not so. And I mean, great. you know, and that's the key because a lot of people say, oh, you know, you, you're in a club. It's kind of stuffy. It's, you know, it's kind of boring. There is nothing boring about Dames Don't Care. Nothing boring about SFMC. These are motorcycle clubs done right. They know their city like the mm -hmm. back of their hand. They know when to go. They know when to push the envelope. They're great. Well, that's always really a good time are. with them for sure. Yeah, exactly. The thing I love about um, um, motorcycle groups like theirs, it's not about what you ride. It's about how you ride. Yeah, Flat absolutely. Out. And a bunch of crazy bastards. <laughs> well, you know, um, the last time I didn't do the Dames Don't Care motorcycle ride, but I've ridden with the SFMC many, many times. And the last time I was with uh, U Bagel. Well, actually, you were on the different ride because we were on the Mods and Rockers ride. <laughs> All right. <laughs> and, um, God, those guys can ride. Those oh, yeah. guys can ride. The, the guy was riding, um, he was doing lane blocking and sweeping, and he was on a Harley Diner. And he was everywhere. He was in front of me. He was behind me. He was on my ref. He was on my – and it's so intuitive. They really know what they're doing. Oh, and, yeah. San, and San Francisco is a pretty challenging city to ride around. Um, geographically, it's all over the place, and the standard of driving is not great. <laughs> yes, <laughs> but know? that's the thing is that they 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 ride it every day, and right? They know so you get city. used to they it. The, yeah, yeah. So they they know exactly what to do, and and yeah, it's it's uh, it, it's a thrill to ride with them up there. I got to say. So, um, are we all ready for a history hole? Yes. Are we sitting comfortably? Are you sitting comfortably, Nock? Yeah, I'm about to make some broccoli, but yeah. <laughs> Give it to me. <laughs> well, if you're all sitting comfortably, then we shall begin. Nice view behind you, by the way, Jim. You know, I mean, this is perfect for an audio podcast, but Jim, Jim's got a background of the, uh, the Bay Bridge behind him now. <laughs> Golden Gate. <laughs> so, um... you wanker. Yes. <laughs> no, we are going to talk. So this week's history hole is on um, the Wankel or the Vankel engine, um, mm. also known as the rotary engine. And mm -hmm. um, what a lot of people don't realize, there was actually a Mr. Vankel. Yavol. Was, was, was he a wanker? Yeah, Wankel. Yeah, Felix Wankel. I'm actually wearing a T-shirt with Felix the Cat on it in honor of Felix Vankel. Um, and our dear Felix was born in 1902 in Germany. And um, apparently he had this idea for a revolutionary engine rattling around in his head pretty much all his life. He's credited, he always said he came up with the idea at 17 years old, which would make in 1919. I think that might be a bit ambitious. He might have had a, um, an inkling. But um, before we get into the history, we need to talk, I mean, 
does anybody here have any idea what a Vankel engine is or kind of how it works? Well, um, it is a rotary engine that has a somewhat triangular-shaped lobe that is used to compress the uh, fuel-air mixture into a right. combustion chamber rather than have pistons moving up and down. And as it compresses and fires, then it pushes that uh, that wedge around um, around its path, and that rotates the crankshaft. And, you know, that's as good a description as any bagel and the 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 key with the engine and the reason that of its concept it was very simple there are far less moving parts in a vankel engine than there are in a conventional infernal combustion engine even less than even two, in, in a two-stroke uh, even in a two-stroke and its original concept was as a replacement for the two-stroke but we're getting ahead of ourselves so back to Felix Vankel. So um, he had this idea, and it was probably just a very rudimentary idea in his teenage years of this revolutionary engine that was going to be the future. To give you an idea of how he really devoted his life to this, he set up a little workshop to test various prototypes in the 20s. And basically produced nothing for 20 years during the second world war he was he he fat, um, sorted a lot of patents with the aeronautics office for rotary valves because if you're flying in planes and you've got planes that are basically burning air fuel mixture conventional carburations not going to help you so you, you kind of want to have some lateral thinking when it comes to induction. So he came up with some pretty trick induction systems and rotary valve systems for Messerschmitts and Blum and Vars and Focke-Wulf aeroplanes. And uh, basically, that's what he was doing, but he, he never lost sight of this engine. Um, he partnered with a company called NSU after the war, and they came up with a prototype in 1954. So what are you talking about here? So if we say he had the initial idea in 1920, it took to 1954, 34 years of development to actually get this thing where it run, and another three years before it could actually be in an automotive application. So this is quite a long development run to get this engine as an idea. So we have a working engine just in Germany in 1957. Um, they started filing patents and a lot of people showed interest around the world and wanted to actually buy into this engine. Um, 50 manufacturers in all, all spread all over the world. We'll deal briefly with the car ones because there is some crossover, but, I mean, this is basically a motorcycle history hole. Um, one of the first people to sign on for a patent in 1961 for the car people was Mazda. What a surprise. Um, mm -hmm. And Mazda really made their name perfecting the original design of 
rotary engine. Another one was, of course, Citroen, and Citroen made their own. And that's going to be a crossover into the bikes a little bit later. But let's deal with the bikes. First people to sign on, and I know this will make you happy, Bagel, was MZ Motor Zschopau of East Germany. Ah, yes. And they really wanted a replacement for their two-stroke engines. Even in the early 60s, a lot of the European manufacturers realized that two-stroke engines, because of the way they burnt and their, the, the way they produced emissions, couldn't last forever. So they were looking for means of replacing them. And MZ thought, we can make a very, very lightweight rotary Vankel engine it's going to be a replacement for our two-strokes. In reality, they're harder to make than you think. And there's two things that have plagued rotary engines since the beginning. And the first is rotor tip wear, because we've got this kind of big triangular mass that spins around at very high speed in an engine that's got very, very hardened steel tips on it, and they wear like crazy. And the second is his heat. They're producing a huge amount of heat. And this, is, this has been a problem in motorcycle production, and it took 30 years for it to really be addressed. So MZ signed on very, very early on. The second people to sign on were Sachs, and they signed on in 1961. However, it took them over 10 years to develop a bike around the engine that they signed on for. And arguably, it was one of the most successful ones, which was the, the Hercules W2000. Um, so those were the two that signed on. All the Japanese manufacturers signed on for a patent as well. We immediately think of Suzuki of having the rotary engine. But Honda were very, very interested, just in very, very small ones. Kawasaki did a prototype, and Yamaha did a prototype as well. The first production one, though, let's go back to the Hercules W2000. And these are actually great little bikes. The 250cc, they produce 30 horsepower, which doesn't sound like a great deal. But it was an air-cooled engine. It was a very, very simple engine. If you've ever had the opportunity to ride one, which I have, they're really quite fun to ride. They're very, very simple. They're very smooth running. They've got this kind of weird sort of motorboat noise to them. And they just kind of purr along. They were in production pretty solidly with various improvements from 1973 to 1977. In 1977, they sold all their tooling to Norton. And we're going to be talking about Norton in a bit. Um, Suzuki is worth noting as well. They really had put great stock in their two-stroke bikes. In the early 70s, Suzuki had the GT series. And that's where those these were their flagship bikes. There were three-cylinder bikes. There was the 380, the 550 in the 750 but they knew that the writing was going to be on the wall for the two strokes so they they needed a replacement for it they bought the patent very very early on from nsu and so they developed this motor all through from i think their first running prototype was 1970 and it took them four years to get into a 
production bike. And they actually pulled the trigger and produced it. Um, arguably the worst Suzuki ever made, which was the RE5. Um, it entered production in 1974, and it was, um, to say it was strangely styled was quite an understatement. Um, I'm ashamed to say it was an actually Italian stylist who actually designed it. Wow. It was Giugiario who normally is quite successful, but my God, this thing was not a good-looking bike by any stretch of the imagination. And this was also the 70s, too, so there is that. Yeah, and I mean, if if you take the RE5, the Generation generation 1 RE5 had this peculiar drum-shaped instrument panel, and it was kind of cool in a way because you had this kind of blue plexiglass cover and you put the key in and turn the key and this cover had flipped back and revealed the instruments underneath and then um there's a lot of round in the design they're like round you know yeah. there's a circular tail light to match the instrument pod and then the the turn signals themselves were just like tennis balls <laughs> it was a very peculiar bike and of course being a rotary there was nothing where there should be I'm looking um, at a picture of it, and, and it looks dramatically different than the one we were talking about earlier. Yes. It the was, shape of the engine, than the, um, what was the one we were talking about a second ago? Oh, the Hercules. The Hercules, yeah. Now, Very see, different the, shape to the engine. It, Suzuki kind of went the other way. They made it overly complex. And remember, the RE5 mm-hmm. was a water-cooled bike. The Hercules was an air-cooled bike, and that actually does make a great deal of difference. The thing you'll notice about the Hercules is it's dominated by this huge air intake at the front because it just needs massive amounts of cool air to keep it within reasonable temperatures. Suzuki said, oh, screw that. We'll make it liquid-cooled. But it made for a far more complicated engine. Um, They were not great bikes. They produced 62 horsepower, which wasn't a great deal then. I mean, bear in mind... The flagship Suzuki, which was the GT750, produced 70. So why on earth, if you had a couple of thousand dollars in your back pocket in the in the mid-70s and you walked into a Suzuki dealership, why on earth would you buy the Rotary when the GT750 was better looking, cheaper, handled better, was far more reliable um, and chewed up less fuel? So... It wasn't a great seller. They redesigned it halfway through production to make it a little more conventional looking, thinking the styling was the reason it didn't sell. It still didn't sell. So in 1977, they finally pulled the plug and sold the rights to Norton. So Norton bought the rights to that as well. Um, Yamaha only came up with one single prototype, Beautiful looking bike. It was called the RZ201. But it wasn't a working prototype. And actually, if you see a picture of it, you'll think, my God, that's a really handsome looking bike. But there's no way it could have run as it was presented in the picture. It had very conventional exhaust on it. There was no concession made to the heat of the exhaust. There's no concession made to the heat of the engine. It really wouldn't have worked. Honda came up with one prototype as well, which is a tiny little thing. I think it's like a 125cc bike. Nothing's known about it, 
didn't even know whether it was a running prototype or not. Knowing Honda's MO, I'm guessing they realized the engine had certain limitations and thought, we can do better with just a conventional four-stroke and abandon the project. And the same with Kawasaki. They did one prototype. Kawasaki have always had this huge advantage over the other manufacturers. Because it's such a big company, they've got more R&D money. But still, they only made one prototype, which was the most powerful of the lot. It was um, 85 horsepower out of the box. And it looks like, I've seen a couple of pictures of the prototype, it looks like they use an old KZ900 chassis. It's quite a big engine in it. Um, but again, it was just one, one prototype that was built. So they decided that there was no future in this. Emma? So Yes. Yeah, so the, you haven't really answered the question, or I didn't catch it. Why... What what did this style of engine bring to the table? It wasn't horsepower, you said. Just so it's going to longevity, possibly? Is well, that- no, and far from it. It was really designed, it was pitched as the future of motorcycling. Because it's a compact engine. You can make them quite small. Yeah. And you can make them quite powerful. Yeah, from what I understand, the, the, the horsepower to like engine weight ratio was supposed to be favorable. It was very high and it was very, very yeah. simple. But there were fundamental design flaws that really plagued it all its life. And really why now it's condemned to the garbage can of history. The only people who've really made a successful go of it are Mazda. And we'll talk yeah. about, we'll revisit Mazda because they were the first car manufacturer to to jump on board with it. And really they're the last manufacturer now that you can buy a mainstream rotary engine car yeah, i mean is there rx line of cars still around oh yeah yeah they're still yeah okay they're the ones that are actually just yeah forward with the, it right they've moved forward but the thing that saved master is is metallurgy is yeah. just using exotic metals that yeah, the weren't available deals. yeah exactly but there's a couple of offshoots so we've talked about Germany and really the Germans who developed this engine and then the Japanese who bought into it. But let's talk about a couple of the European ones. So we'll talk about the Van Veen, ah, which is actually one of my favorites. I have a model of that in the garage. I know you do. <laughs> yes. I know you do. So the Van Veen, um, Van Veen, because there was a Mr. Van Veen, and he was an importer of German mopeds. Um, specifically Kreidlers. I'm sure Bagel knows what a Kreidler is. Um, Ach ja. <laughs> Ach ja, a little German buzz bomb. Yeah. And Holland is a massive market for lightweight motorbikes. So I suspect Mr. Van Veen was quite a wealthy fellow. And he got an opportunity to drive a Citroen GS car with a co-motor engine in it. Now, co-motor was a company that was founded. It was half NSU, half Citroen. And they came up with this amazing motor. It was a twin rotor engine. It's 107 horsepower. So plenty powerful and very, very small. So, Nock, we're getting back to this whole power to size thing again. It was a motor that was about the size of trying to describe it probably of about a gallon gas can but it produced 
over 100 horsepower. So he thinks, I can make a bike out of this, and I can make a very successful bike out of this. So what basically a, a Van Veen is, it's a 1,000cc bike. It's a Moto Guzzi chassis. So, Liza, if you take your model of your Van Veen OCR 1000 and kind of put your thumb over the engine and then pick up a model of a 1970s Moto Guzzi Le Mans, yeah, exactly. the, you'll see they're the same bike. Kind of the squared tank. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. It's, 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 it's the same mm -hmm. chassis as a Moto Guzzi Le Mans. So it's a very rigid chassis, 107 horsepower engine, um, interesting styled bodywork. Um, Porsche actually made the transmission for it. It's a five-speed transmission. It was a big bike. It was a heavy bike. Take a stab at how many they built. Uh, we're talking about the Van Veen? Yep. 8,000. 30. Bagel's closer. <laughs> <laughs> they built 38. Wow. Hey. 38 of them. And what actually makes it successful is from the very first day it rolled off the line, Van Veen said, this is going to be an exclusive motorbike. It was incredibly expensive. It cost as much as a Lotus car to buy. So, so it was like you, a collector's thing, huh? It was a collector's thing from the day it rolled off the production line, and it's mm. never lost that status now. Because, believe me, you could be at the quail, and some guy pulls in on a Van Veen OCR 1000, you go, oh, shit, it's a Van Veen. You know, you can be at the most exclusive motorcycle collection in the world, and if somebody pulls up on a Van Veen, it's like, oh, my God, it's one of them. So, you know, in those terms, it was quite successful. Um, but 30, 30 bikes is successful? Well, it depends on your point of view, doesn't it? Um, well, it's it's like how they have the supercar model now. Like you have these companies making million-dollar right. supercars. They sell like a hundred of them, and that business model works because only filthy rich people get them, you know? And that, was Van, Veen, for. And that was Van Veen's business model. And furthermore, he said, it wasn't me that killed the company. Citroen actually pulled the plug on Komoto, which was the manufacturer of the engine. Citroen said, we've wow. had enough. And Citroen was so embarrassed by that engine, for whatever reason, hmm. they actually wanted to destroy all of them. Wow. So, I'd be embarrassed by the paint job. That pea green paint job on that thing <laughs> is not the most beautiful I've ever seen. It's you know the Dutch people like me. It looks me. terrible. Good Lord. No, it, come it on also, now, Jim. It was, it was also the seventies. <laughs> okay, yeah. I'll give you that. They should macrame the, the gas tank then. It matched yeah. my parents' refrigerator. Exactly. Oh my God. Paint, paint my muscle bike avocado. <laughs> exactly. You say it's avocado. And the vomit, yeah, the vomit for the Exorcist. I think that was the same yeah. color. <laughs> <laughs> just, just make motorcycles with Wayne's coating on the side. Just. Wooden panels. <laughs> right, exactly. Um, but interestingly enough, it still suffered from the same problems as all Wankels did. Is very, very high rotor tip failure. 
and excessive heat. The irony is, in the Van Veen, it suffered less because the engine was out in the air. In the Citroën, engines were burning up or two or 3,000 miles. Ooh. And so well. that was why Citroën was so embarrassed about it. And they could never get away from that problem. I mean, you know, they see it as a very, very dark spot in their... Um, in their life. Interesting enough, one of the best cars was the NSUR 080, which had a rotary power. And what people did, that also had a co-motor engine in it, which suffered massive failure. But people were pulling the engines out and putting more conventional engines in. It was a hugely advanced car. The handling was superb. The transmission was superb. It's just they couldn't get around this engine. I have a so, question, Emma. Yes. So, um, sounds like, I mean, the design at the time was inferior to, you know, what was out there to standard uh, four-stroke engine. So, I'm, I'm wondering t by today, because now they can look cool engines, you know, liquid-cooled engines. Um, is it worth bringing back? Is there anything you can salvage from this design that you think it's... that? we're ready for now no i think it's a fundamentally sound engine and i'm gonna finish with norton and it's worth talking about norton as a completely separate entity mazda have really made this engine work and they've made this engine work with advanced cooling techniques and advanced metallurgic techniques with exotic metals that weren't available back in the day and you know, I'll, I, I tip my hat to Master. You could walk into a showroom in 1971 and buy yourself a rotary engine Master. And that's how they made their name in the States. And a lot of people still have very, very fond memories of those cars. The fact that a lot of the engines were burning up at 20,000 miles, it doesn't seem to have bothered people because <laughs> they were great cars. And, I mean, they went like hell. Yeah, you know, they were fast yeah, there's as a, fury. There's a huge uh, rotary community out there now, too, where people are bolting multi-rotor multi motors, like three, four rotor motors, and and just racing them. And, and these things sound out of control, you know? Exactly. And that's one of the beauties of, of a rotary engine. If you want more power, you can just bolt on more rotors. Most bikes were either single or twin rotors. Cars... Again, twin rotor, but you put three rotors, four rotors. And in effect, you can double the horsepower. And it still remains very, very compact. And um, you're not adding much weight either when you do that. Exactly, you're not. Um, so let's finish with Norton, because Norton's worth talking about as a completely separate entity. And we kind of talked a little bit about Norton in a previous history hole, but... I want to talk just about the, the, the rotaries, the, the, the Vankel engine Nortons. So, they got the right to everything. Rotary, motorcycle, in the late 70s. Now, remember, Norton as we know them had gone bankrupt in 1975. That's when the last commando rolled off the line. A new company was set up, and it actually moved to a little village outside um, a town called Litchfield 
in the West Midlands specifically to develop the, the rotary concept with an eye to selling them to the police. The first one to roll off the line was a police model and it was called the Interpol. And the Interpol is a name that Norton's used many, many times over the years to describe the police model. It was 600cc, good amount of horsepower. It was about 70 horsepower, which was plenty for a police bike. It was an air-cooled, a fairly simple engine. And then from 84 to 87, it remained unchanged. 87, you could actually buy a civilian version of it. And it, in my opinion, it's definitely one of the most handsome rotary bikes um, you can buy. Jim, if you want to do a Google search on a Norton Rotary Classic, it's a great-looking bike. Very heavily finned engine, um, good solid perform, about a 90-horsepower engine, really solid chassis. And they Norton wanted to really develop this engine as much as they could. They went to liquid cooling in 88, and really kind of pushed the envelope of what an engine could be. Yeah, it's However, a very handsome motorcycle. I mean, it's a it's a good looking bike, isn't it? Oh, it's the best lines of all those of all those rotary bikes so far by far. It looks. However, great. we're going to come to the F ones. So. In 1989, Norton decided they were going to enter the racing program and race a Norton rotary. And so they came up with this amazing thing called the F1. And it's, um, it pretty much dominated English motorcycle racing, 88, 89, and 90. Um, amazing bike, tons of power. Again, few problems with overheating, but they redesigned the fairing halfway through the 92 season, really improved the cooling on it, and it could have been a world-class bike. However, they never got beyond the thirst. It was a very, very thirsty engine. From 1991 to 94, the racing program was taken over by one of the... Um, old development engineers called Brian Crichton. And he managed to get about 200 horsepower out of this engine. His formula was very simple. This was for a race bike. 200 horsepower, 300 pounds. And he thought with that formula, it was unbeatable. And it really was. But even um, Crichton never got beyond this, the overheating problem. So there we are, and that's that's really brought us up. So you haven't been able to buy a rotary engine motorcycle since 1994, and that was an Orton. You can still buy a rotary engine car. Whether it's got value in the motorcycle industry now, I'm kind of on the fence. I think, like the gas turbine engine, it's got a great deal of potential. I like gas turbines because they're very compact and they can produce a lot of power. I like rotary engines for exactly the same reason. The problem is I don't see anybody spending massive amounts on R&D on internal combustion engines for any vehicles. 
in the coming years. I think all the manufacturers are really going to be pushing towards either hybrid, fully electric, or hydrogen fuel cell now. Yeah, I mean, like the biggest thing I've heard as far as internal combustion is just uh, variable variable compression engines. And, yeah. and that's really the only thing, you know, like the, it's all just adjusting the timing of things and compression, like the variability of, of, of the engine components that you can do. Right, exactly. And I mean, it's, really it. it's I yeah. variable timing was a big deal. And then we get to yeah. variable cam timing. And then Mitsubishi came out with a variable compression engine. And it's it, that's where things are going to be. Yeah. Um, yeah, and then, yeah, I feel ultimately it's just it's just emissions like like rotaries now they're they're from what I understand they're like notoriously uh, polluting motors exactly, too. and you yeah. know a lot of people yeah. ask me this they'll say well hang on I went down to my Honda dealer and they had a brand new 500 cc bike there that was very very high tech fuel injected twin cam got you know four valves per cylinder and it only produced 55 horsepower mm. back in the 70s my h1 kawasaki which was 500 cc produced 70 horsepower how can this be and it's quite easy the kawasaki was dirty yeah really dirty whereas the new design is very very clean you know manufacturers now i i i believe and there's always going to be things that push the envelope but we've seen as much horsepower as we're going to get out of bikes right now 200 horsepower 210 this about that's it what a natural Yes, powered, yeah. on naturally powered engine, what manufacturers are doing now are cleaning up their act and making these things as fuel efficient as they can and as clean running as they can. Yeah, and and but the thing is that even with with whatever technology we're talking about for internal combustion engines, we're ultimately talking about whether we're, we want a, a wood fired wood wood fired boiler for our steam engine or a coal fired fired boiler. You know, I mean, it's all obsolete technology. You know, in the near future, anyway. So, right. Exactly. Yeah. It's, so and not- that's why. I mean, it would be financial suicide if. If I, as a motorcycle manufacturer, so Emma's Motorcycles Incorporated, I'm going to reintroduce the Vankel rotary engine and develop it with fuel injection and exotic metals and so on and so forth, and it's going to cost me a billion dollars for R&D for something that's probably going to be obsolete in four years. It doesn't make any sense at all. Yeah. You know? Um, we all know most- it's going to, towards diesel. <laughs> God <laughs> almighty. Get, get your KLRs. You know, it's it, a lot of um, European cities now, uh, by 2024, are saying no more internal combustion engines in cities. Yeah. Or if you want to bring it in, you've got to pay buku bucks for it. So the, it's kind of being driven by political forces now, as well as the manufacturers themselves. I mean, Europe wants cleaner air. Well, they're getting it right now. Yeah, exactly. And I mean, I think it's a wake-up call 
about what's been happening because the air is so much cleaner. Now, I could point out that the air in Monterey is so much cleaner because I haven't been riding around in one of my stinky old two-strokes. <laughs> <laughs> Though I can say that I am contributing to dirty air because I found right. the best way to encourage social distancing is to fart in public. Oh, well done. <laughs> yeah. Now, and you should always award yourself a grade when you do. Well, as somebody who has to go to work, when people get too close to me, I'm like, well, it's your own fault. I'm just going to let loose. <laughs> Sorry, are you hitting the broccoli hard there? <laughs> exactly. Oh, no, well, Knox's eating broccoli right now, so God knows what the atmosphere is going to be yeah. like. Knox knows all about social distancing. <laughs> he prefers but, social distancing. Right? But, you know, the, the, the caveat I give with all of my history holes mm -hmm. is we've really just scratched the surface. Wankel engines in cars and bikes of fascinating period pieces and we've all got a little extra time about it read up about them read up about who made them work and who didn't make them work but they are period pieces and it was a child of really it was a child of the 60s and it made it into the 70s but it would have been hard to make a future of it i really think without if the exotic metals had been there from day one, it might have been different. But I somehow don't think so. Well, and, I do and love the fact. Go ahead. I'm sorry. I do love the fact that we were talking to Emily earlier that she had a Winkle mm -hmm. engine book in her hand. Yeah. Like her, her coffee table reading was. <laughs> exactly. They are fascinating engines. They they really are. Um, yeah. And it's, from what it's, I, yeah. Sorry, knock. So, yeah, from what I understand, too, it's it's also more of like an enthusiast's kind of a motor because when you're the thing's operating, you're revving the shit out of it, which is awesome for racing and motorbikes. But, like, for your family sedan, putting down the street at 6,000 RPM doesn't seem like it's a fun thing. Well, anybody gets an opportunity to, to drive something with a wankle in it, you're not really going to have an opportunity to ride one because they're just so rare now. But you might have an opportunity. You might be driving down and you'll see used car lot with a you know, Mazda RX-7 in there. Drive it. It's an interesting experience because it's a, it's a fun thing to, to be behind. You really rev them high and you really get this racing experience because all the power's up top. It's very, very linear power. It's very instant power. And they do sound good. They sound really, really good. And, so, and they, have, they have no red line. Oh, no. I mean, you can, you can just rev it to the moon and back. I mean, it, it'll just stop revving. And then you put it back here and you go again. It's an amazing thing. Yeah. But wonderful that, design, and, but flawed. Yeah. And I remember as a kid, uh, we had a... I think it was a large format brochure from a 1973 or 1973 Mazda sedans that my parents had picked up. And I remember reading that as a, as a kid and it had all sorts of little diagrams about how the Wankel engine worked. And I was fascinated by it. It sounded really, uh, really promising. Like it was going to be the future of, of transportation, but uh, obviously, like I said, there were severe limitations to it. Right. And the, interestingly enough, 
the gas turbine engine suffered the same fate. The gas turbine engine was yeah. the great hope in the 1950s and early 60s. But like the Wankel, it suffered from stratoscopic um, stratocostric? What? What did you, <laughs> what did you say? Stratospheric. Um, cylind cylinder Sounds head like a Dr. Doolittle movie. Um, cylinder head temperatures. Yeah. Amazing thirst. And again, if you're riding a bike or you're driving a car and you're looking at the ref counter and it's like 25,000 RPM and climbing, you know, it's, it's, there's a certain breed of person who's comfortable with that. And I think mainstream Mr. Mm -hmm. or Mrs. Ordinary isn't. So, yeah, and, and, and that's the thing, too, with any internal combustion engine, the, the limits you're going to push against up against are going to be the, uh, the you know, heat versus metallurgy, mm -hmm. because right. that's that's where it, it meets its, you know, it, it's it's failure point. That's right. what Luke Workman taught us. All motors are just uh, to create heat. That the, the power output is is a byproduct of the heat it's creating. Exactly. Internal combustion, internal yeah. combustion yeah. engines. Yeah. Infernal combustion. Infernal combustion. <laughs> well, Emma, thank you very much for telling no, us about the Wankel engine. Now, when somebody calls me a wanker, I'll take it as, a, a, take it as a compliment. Exactly. <laughs> yes, um, exactly. Thank you for calling me a rotary engine, darling. <laughs> hey, and I wanted to just uh, make a comment real quick. I know we didn't gather last week because I put out the Gary Davis episode. I want to make sure everyone gets a chance to hear that. Um, just a little more backstory, if you haven't heard that yet. Uh, that was an interview that we did in 2018 that Emma Michael and I did, and we had... Uh, we had a lot of problems with the audio. I'd bought new equipment. We had four different, four separate mics that were recording and they were glitching. And so they all were out of sync and, and they were cutting in and out. So, um, I just wasn't able to save the audio until I, I really put a lot of time into it. And that's what I was able to do now that, you know, I was staying home and, um, just know that when I say it was a lot of work, there were some parts of it where maybe I'll say like Gary said motor and it cut out and all you heard was tur and I had to go through the conversation and find him use mo in something else cut that out and and tape it in right there you know I uh, wow. paste it in so like I saved as much as I could and uh for the first um day or two sorry to those people there were some edits that i missed because the computer didn't save after i did it but i went back that night and did them all over again so it's it's a better version now with less dropouts but i hope everyone enjoyed it because as i said that was one of the best interviews we ever did didn't you think so emma oh i thought it was absolutely I thought it was absolutely marvelous. <laughs> um, one of the most fascinating, interesting, nicest, nicest people you'd ever meet. Oh, um, Gary amazing, was fantastic. Amazing Just stories. And, you know, isn't it often the case that this absolute lunatic who would think nothing of jumping 20 buses on a Honda CB350 is just a really solid down-to-earth guy. Well, and the thing that gets me about this, too, the things I've thought about uh, since we that interview, when he broke Evil Knievel's record of uh, and doing, was it 22 cars that he jumped? 
Yeah, I think so. Yeah, it was 22. He said that was his third jump ever. It's not like to be a daredevil who's jumping. It's not like you like work. Do you work your way up? You'd think. No, he just went out there and started doing it. Well, That's you know, what's crazy. Well, yeah, how hard can it be? Go big or go home, right? I suspect it's one of those careers that the more you know about it, the less inclined you are to do it. So, you know, kind of ignorance is bliss. Yeah. So just, uh, yeah, I just want to make sure everyone gets an opportunity to listen to the Gary Davis episode. It is by far one of my favorites. One of mine, too. Knock, did you hear it yet? I'm, I don't think Knox's hearing it. Yeah, I said, Knox, did you hear it yet? The Gary Davis interview? Yeah, I did. It was very good. Oh, you did? I didn't think you listened. Yeah. I was trying to call you out. No, I listened. It was good. Ah, cool. Knox, so hey, let's check in with you since you're here. Oh, um, what have you been up to? How are you handling all of this? Oh, a whole lot of nothing. I thought I was going <laughs> to do like bike maintenance, but like I just lay down instead. It's <laughs> so much nicer. I was like, you know what? I'm gonna I'm gonna turn the the locust into like a one headlight bike instead of a two headlight bike. And I was like, yeah, nah. <laughs> but I have been uh doing a lot of internet stuff and I've been looking at the uh that there's a potentially that Honda's gonna bring back that one twenty five for twenty twenty one. Oh the uh um, oh, the cup. Um, the CT one twenty yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, the little kind of trail yeah. thing. CT, yeah. Nice. Mm-hmm. Fishermen rejoice. Not yeah. just that, yeah. but Bagel, did you see the 150cc adventure scooter that looks like the Africa Twin? I heard about that. Yeah, that um, looks, I haven't really had a chance to really check it out yet. Um, that looks cool. But I heard about it on uh, on uh, Cleveland Motors podcast. They were talking about it. And um, <clears throat> but I, I, I am kind of inclined to go with with their assessment that. 150cc is probably going to be a little disappointing. And the 300 version would be a whole lot more fun if they'd bring that one in. Well, I like how they just, like, I hope the companies keep leaning into the small displacement motorcycle. Um, Kawasaki recently uh, posted about, or have the ZX250. Yeah. The inline four ZX250. Yes. Yeah. That's an amazing looking thing. But you know, it is such a fickle market. I'm remembering my time at the 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 nameless big dealership and the two bikes that I thought would be great sellers which was the Versus 300 mm-hmm. and the Rally Raid mm-hmm. just sat in the showroom forever mm. and we couldn't move them conversely you know um I've heard of people in the Midwest who just sold tons of Versus 300s. So, you know, the market is fickle. Um, but I like the smaller and midweight bikes. I really like the look of that little Africa twin, not the scooter, the, the mid-size version of it. What CC was you know. that, Liza? The scoot, not the scooter? Oh, no, the, seven, the, the 790, I think. Yeah, the 790 Africa twin. Mm-hmm. That's perfect size bike that's going to be great but here's the thing about the small displacement bikes those of us who are seasoned riders not as interested but what we have to remember is this is what's going to bring more riders in this because it's affordable 
and a smaller displacement. Catering to the non-riders to convert them into riders is what all these small bikes are going to be doing. And that's what I'm saying. Yeah, and honestly, and honestly if, that, if that 150 is a capable bike, uh, especially off-road, you know, that, that would actually be a pretty good hook to get people into riding. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I'm thinking especially to... Um, like if, if there's, um, you know, people who have, you know, who are, who are big, you know, off-road riders and they have a partner who is not, and you know, they want to get into it, that might be a good option. Yeah. So I like the way they're going. It's just that the, the market's not ready for it, but they'll, they'll come around. Well, I mean, I think part of it too, is like with the technology, you're getting a lot more for your average motorcycle. Mm-hmm. And so even at 125, you live in a, like a relatively dense urban area like Santa Cruz or San Francisco, where you don't really have to get on the highway to do errands. That's perfect. Like 200 cc, 350, whatever cc class motorbike with, you know, with long enough suspension travel, which is what the CT125 is, is supposed to be. You know, you can just put a nice big fat milk crate on the back and, you know, put your weed in there or something. <laughs> Oh, how times have I'm changed. imagining a milk crate full of weed. Yeah, well, you know. <laughs> That'd be very Santa Cruz. Santa Cruz very style. Santa yep. Cruz. That, that, yep. Yeah, exactly. Only Edible Santa delivery, Cruz. you know? Hey, um, guys, I've got a couple emails I wanted to get to because um, they've got oh, some good um, questions. Just while you're sorting those, Liza, I would like to apologize to everybody. I know we've got letters coming mm-hmm. in requesting Emma's Army stickers. Yes. Um. California's on a lockdown, and my yes. printer is not, he's not printing. So the moment we get out of lockdown, which is looks like it's going to be May, so please keep the letters coming in. But I'm not going to have any stickers to mail out until the middle of May at the earliest. Okay. So there's just, you know, and this is circumstances that we have no control over. Yeah, I think people are aware of that. Yeah, but just in case, I wouldn't want anybody to think I'm ignoring them because Emma's army will fuck you up, darling. Nice. All right. I think Doc could fix this. <laughs> he probably could, but he's too busy laying down. Too busy laying down. <laughs> <laughs> um, hey, I've got um, a couple of emails with some, some good questions. And this uh, first one is from... Stacy, who is a male, Stacy. Hey, Stacy. Hey, Stacy. He says, Hello, gang. I've been listening to your podcast for about a month now. I do not own a motorcycle at this moment, but I have suspicions I may soon, possibly this Friday, as it's my birthday. I was wondering. Oh, happy birthday. Yeah. 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 One, happy of birthday. Us. One of us. <laughs> you should celebrate early. Go buy it tomorrow. He's turning 29. Yeah. And he was wondering on nice. our he's wondering on our thoughts on exhaust wrap. Is it worth it? Besides looks and 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 do, you know, does it put wear and tear on your bike? So he wants to know what do we think about exhaust wrap? It's, I mean, it's a, okay. Here's the deal with exhaust wrap. Can I just first if, point out? I think it's very interesting. He's looking at getting a bike, and he's already down to this kind of detail. Should I use exhaust wrap? Because aesthetics is what brings a lot of people into Mm -hmm. the motorcycling. It's it's a lot of it's the outside in, which is fine. That's how I got it because it looks cool, right? Which is fine. And that's basically what the exhaust wrap's going to do. It's aesthetics only. If you read 
Smoky Unix guide to more engine power. You get your exhaust temperature up. It gets your cylinder head temperatures up. You produce more power. Well, that's fine in a small block Chevy V8. But in a motorbike, every motorbike rolling off the line for the past 30 or 40 years has got double-skinned exhaust pipes. You're not going to... Performance-wise, you're not going to do anything for the bike's performance by wrapping the exhaust. Is it going to look cool? Of course it is. Is it going to smash up the finish of your bike? No, of course it's not. If you like that look, Stacey, wrap away, mate. Just remember, keep it tight. There is nothing as hokey-looking as baggy exhaust strap. Oh, yeah. so on that on that note, how should you start the wrap, and how do you finish the wrap so it looks clean? Uh, well, you start the wrap. I would start probably at right at where it goes into the cylinder head. Um, and you do one complete turn, pull it as tight as you can, and then safety wire it. And then once you've done one complete turn... Then you just wrap it like you'd be wrapping a bandage, but just keep pulling it as tight as you can and be mindful that as you're wrapping it down, keep the edges evenly spaced so you don't kind of bunch it up and then have it baggy there and tight there. You know, think about it as being like a congruous thing. And when it's done well, it looks really very good. Um, Generally, the more expensive wrap is, the better it's going to look. If you go down to AutoZone or something and pay 20 bucks for it, it's going to look kind of hokey. Usually they've got some better stuff there that's 40 or 50 bucks, um, and that's going to look a bunch better. But do it tight, and then when you get to the end, again, you pull it as tight as you can, wrap a complete turn runs, and then just safety wire it. You know, some of the better kits have got these really nice stainless steel. They almost look like zip ties, but they're made of stainless steel. And they look kind of neat. But neatness is everything. You know, when it's done well, it looks great. I, I suspect our friend Stacy likes the cafe racer look. Or maybe Chopper. And that's what or- I, I had responded that <clears throat> if you look at the reason for it, um, you know, either you're doing it either to keep the, the engine warm or in many cases with custom pipes that go across the leg, you're doing it as a heat shield for you. Right. So that's why they use them on a lot of choppers. Um, so it just really depends, uh, you know, what the need is. And in some cases, really ugly rusted pipes. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It can cover the ugly. But um, so, yeah, um, good luck on your first bike, Stacy, and wrap away. Um, send us a picture of it when you uh, when you when you decide what you want to buy and you get your bike and whether you wrap it or not. There you go. Like, okay. I'd love to see a picture of you on it. So, Cheers, all right. So our next one is from our friend Alan Smith. Alan. 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 <laughs> Alan. 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 No, Steve. <laughs> Alan. So you guys know Alan Smith with his uh, Vetter Ninja Two Fifty and. And he's got all sorts of crazy bikes. Um, But a lot of you may not realize another bike that he owns. So he says, hey, since we're all stuck at home during the coronavirus, why not talk about the topic up the butt bike? I know there have been a lot of talk about the up the butt bikes in the past, but has anyone ever gotten theirs the bike? Not 
up the butt. Um, he says, when the Vetter mystery ship motorcycle appeared on the cover of the October issue of Cycle Magazine way back in 1980, I had to have one. Sadly, only <laughs> 10 were made, and they were incredibly expensive. So my chance to get one was impossible. It took 37 years and some cash, but I finally got one, and I didn't have to take it up the butt. Nice. So nice. his uh, veteran mystery ship motorcycle has been sitting in storage for over 25 years when he got it. It took a lot of work to get it roadworthy. The hydraulic brakes and carburetors needed the most work. And uh, so he says, so dreams do come true. It just might take a while. Uh, two other possibly noteworthy bikes and maybe an up the butt bike for someone else in, in his garage is a 1930 KJ Henderson four cylinder and a yes. 1965 BSA Lightning Rocket. Yes. So he's got some great bikes there. Uh, to pass the time while he's stuck at home, he's building a whole new aerodynamic aerodynamic body for his electric Energica motorcycle. Sweet. Yeah. More miles, <clears throat> more miles per kilowatt, eh, Bagel? Oh, so yes. I think that is a good question because it's been a while since we've asked the Misfits. What I want to know what all of your current of the butt bikes are. Do you remember what mine was, Liza? I don't. Mine, and I can kind of answer that question why I will never own one. Okay. So when we first met after the museum and I came into um, the garage and you said, what is your up the butt bike? And I said, well, actually, it's a terrible motorcycle. But it's also a very special motorcycle. And it's the original Benelli 750C. That's right. And the reason, I mean, financially, I think if I do enough finagling, I've probably got enough financial clout to own one now. Um, they come up occasionally for about 10 grand or under. And if I sold my soul, I could probably afford one. But I'll never buy one. Because in truth, they are terrible motorcycles. <laughs> the, the transmissions are terrible. Um, the carburation's terrible. The camshafts are terrible. It's a gorgeous-looking bike. And to me, in my 1970s brain, it may be the prettiest bike I've ever seen. But if I was to actually own one, you know, the scales would fall from my eyes a little bit. So rather than like your first love at school, I'd rather I'd rather gaze at it gaze at it from afar. You know, it's like um, you know you can think Robert De Niro is is the most handsome man in the world, but you might not ever want to actually meet him or go on a date with him. So <laughs> it's like that's where I'm at with with my Benelli. Say it's still my up the butt bike, and it always will be, and I will probably never own one. I'm I'm in the, I'm in the same boat as you. I I don't think I ever want to ride mine, but mine is still the Harley Davidson VR1000 race bike. I think it is yeah. a beautiful bike. Um, I like it because to me, it's like a fish out of water. It's like something that like an abomination, something that never should have existed. It's a misfit. <laughs> it is a misfit too. Um, yeah, a, yep. a Harley, you know, V1000 race bike. What? Um, so that's mine. Yeah. 
Well, mine is still the uh, 58 or 59 Augsburg Vespa GS 150 Type 112 or 162. Either one yeah. will do. With that the uh, with the VIN ending in 083. No. Um, that would do as well. <laughs> You're getting very specific there. Yeah, it's it is uh, it's basically the German Vespa <clears throat> German version of the Vespa GS, uh, which was their sort of sport model back in the fifties, and uh, it was made with a thicker steel, uh, so it was a more robust bike. Uh, it was also made with all German electricals and uh, video gauges. Uh, plus, it has really had a really nice uh, chrome strip down the side cowls and a beautiful swan neck tail light. Uh, so if yeah, if nice. I can ever find one. Someday, maybe, hopefully, I can make that my up-the-butt bike. Jim, how about you? What's your current up-the-butt bike? And Jim is gone. There, Here he comes. Good morning. I'm trying to poop, for God's sake. (laughs) (laughs) The up-the-butt bike. No, my, um, so my up-the-butt bike is, I actually would not take it in the the up-the-butt, but if I were to... (laughs) It would be Steve McQueen's um, uh, yeah. Husqvarna 400 from on any Sunday. Yep. And Steve McQueen would have to be pulling my hair the entire time. <laughs> so, um, but no, for some reason, you know, when Liza, when you introduced me to motorcycling <laughs> and Emma introduced me to Steve McQueen, no, I think we all have loved him for a long time. No, but on any Sunday was such a great, like, mm-hmm. awesome movie to see. And then when you see Steve McQueen, like, with his shirt off, Riding through the desert with Mert Lawwell and it was yeah. like Malcolm Smith, right? My mm-hmm. God. It's like the, the freedom you felt from watching Steve McQueen do that was just awesome. And uh, and those desert sleds I have an affinity for anyway. So if I was gonna take it in the rear, I would definitely do it with Steve McQueen, um, but only Steve McQueen for his Husqvarna four hundred. Definitely bot worthy. And you know, it's almost Jim, it's almost not just the bike. It's a moment in time as well. Well, I think, yeah. Emma, isn't that the one that we saw down in LA? Yes. Yep. Right. And it's a a beautiful looking bike. And here's what I loved about it, though. It was a beautiful bike, but the grips were worn down. So you could tell it was a used, ridden hard bike because they didn't replace the grips. So I thought that was cool. Well, McQueen had had his hands all over it. Would you Mm -hmm. replace them? And it was yeah. a bitchin' bike. I mean, that bike won races. You know what I mean? Husqvarna back then, they were making kick-ass motorcycles. So, Yeah, yeah. So, Knock, how about you? What's your current up-the-butt bike? Okay, so it's changed a while oh, ago. Okay. I used to, it used to be the RSV4. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, like, my, the old standard is obviously the Britain, right? I mean, Yeah, exactly. Now, it's not as impressive, you know, compared to other, you know, modern bikes, but Contextually, for the time, it was kind of an amazing thing. So that's still definitely one of my up-the-butt bikes. Uh, the other one was the Honda RC166, which is a 250 inline 6, mm-hmm. which is the original, uh, you know, the thing sounds insane. And Honda think, said, fuck it. We're gonna- I think they have one of those up at Canepa. Yeah, I think they do. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. This, is, this is the one from the very early 60s, right, Not. Yeah, they made different displacement sizes from 350 onwards, but I think the original one was a 250. It's a 250, yeah. Yeah, um, and I can't remember if Halewood rode one to, Mike, to recreate it. Mike Halewood rode a 250, I think, in the 1960, 162. 
Manx Grand yeah. Prix. Amazing. Yeah, the yeah, noise is incredible. Oh, it's crazy. And yeah, and that was like as far as old bikes, those are the ones to go for. Uh, as far as the new bikes, it mm. would be awesome to have uh, uh, Rossi's GP bike. Oh, uh, yeah. Either YZR or, or Marquez's 2213. Um, as far as like street legal bikes that you can buy, I think I'd want to get the RSB4. Oh no, or the uh, or the racing or the uh, the, the fair version. Knox had a lot uh, of time to think lately. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it, it's all about the Italians. <laughs> yeah, and it's what's crazy is about you know, you could actually get an RSV4 Tuono, like a 2015 under 10 grand in the used market right now, mm-hmm. which is like a 2015, 16, 17, maybe 2014. You get a lot of bike for under ten grand. Like it's got launch control, ABS, and all this crazy bullshit. Wheelie control, slide control, all that. So, yeah, yeah. It was a um, a fun game, Liza. We we play, I think we played it one time, and this reminded me of it. Is what bike today manufactured in two thousand twenty is going to be a collector bike mm-hmm. thirty years from now? That's what a good one. That's, I'm going to write that down game. for next week. Because we will be coming back next week. And I will give you the answer to that. It's not not what you think. The collector bikes of the future, the ones you think this is going to be a collector bike, it isn't going to be that one. Because with a few exceptions, like the Van Veen that we talked about, generally collector bikes are bought and stuffed away in garage because... This is a collector bike. What the interesting bikes are, are going to be what I call the throwaway bikes, the everyday bikes that had such a massive attrition rate that now it's an occasion when you see one. You know? Mm -hmm. Maybe maybe even like the Rebel 500. Right, exactly. Honda 750s were so prolific. They were everywhere and honda made a ton of them but finding decent unmolested examples right now is rare and it's the same with 1970s harleys you know i've got a very very soft spot for amf harleys and again i know they're terrible bikes but they're so fucking handsome Actually, you know what, Emma? Put this in your file. I would like to, in future history whole days, I'd like to talk about the Aramaki and the AMF Harleys and how they differed. And yeah, absolutely. I'll times. talk about that. But, th- but the thing is, trying to find an unmolested 1970s Harley as prolific as they were now, and that's what makes it collectible. If you have I, I feel- a mid-70s Superglide, as it rolled out of the production line, you've got something now because you're there out there. They're everywhere, but they're so heavily modified. The same as Sportsters. Everything's been so heavily modified. You never find a stock one. So these are going to be the collector bikes of the future. The common bikes that everybody crashed and bashed and customized and threw away. Oh, Gen 1 SV650. Yeah, there you go. so this is this is how I feel about my Ninja 650. And this thing came out in like 06 or 07, and it's just like the most ubiquitous, kind of like middle of the road, does everything well, uh, proven 
technology motor engine and just overall bike it's like the motor is originally mm-hmm. unchanged since 2006 to now right they, they maybe they put in a slipper clutch in, in 2016 or something like that but i think if that's going to be like the future ujm where people start building their cafe racers on because they're it's it's cheap it's reliable and there's a fuck ton of them and it, so many people bought them that like you, you're hard pressed to find a stock one you know right yeah but and that's going to be it. Find a stock one. And that's going to be the collector bike. Just my 10 cents. Well, there you go. Hey, guys, I think we have, we've made it. We've made a full episode again. I want to thank you guys for um, showing up and to do these shows and keeping it going for everyone. I know it means a lot to the people out there, especially people who are cooped up, people who are having to do the long drive. Um, you know, we are here. We want to talk about bikes. Right. We want to talk about what's going on. And we're going to keep bringing you content, even though we are all separate. And it means a lot to me that people are still listening to us. I mean, you know, it's it it. sometimes it feels like the world's ending, and mm-hmm. it's not going to end. I mean, these are crazy days. But it's such a privilege, us being able to make this show and have people listening to our show. It's great. I wouldn't yeah. miss this for the world. Yeah, apologize, apologies uh, if I showed up late. A buddy of mine had just turned 50, and so I was on like a 16-person Zoom conference call <laughs> slamming shots and stuff, you know, so. <laughs> well, I'm glad that we, you know, have this technology so that we can keep this going. But um, I can't wait for us all to be in the same room again and definitely get that energy yeah. going. I can't wait I, to go dirt biking again. Yeah. I was supposed to be in Utah last week for 10 uh-huh. days. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to drop a name. I'm very excited about next week's show. Yes. Is it Steve McQueen? Yes, we're actually gonna we are gonna get in a time machine and go back no. and interview Steve McQueen. I'll, I'll, no, I'll we're just interviewing Steve McQueen's corpse. It's a zombie Steve McQueen. It's close, yeah, Jim. Think, it's it's actually Alexander McQueen's assistant. Okay. <laughs> Very Dave good. Stevens, Steve Davids. <laughs> Nice. So yeah, yeah. we we're gonna keep bringing you shows, and um, who knows, we might get better the shows at this. That matter exactly, <clears throat> or to us anyway. Yeah, I was gonna show this to knock the um the the dog is a bottle of salsa. Ah, oh, yeah, salsa dog. <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome. That's from De La Hacienda, the Taco oh, yes. band. He's selling hats now. Well, they were till about two uh, weeks ago. They closed down. Uh, Are they closed down like totally? Yeah, they said fuck off with the Guadalajara. Okay. Oh man. <laughs> well, there it is. So, um, guys, stay safe, please. Yeah, and, for sure. And remember, go to motorcyclesandmisfits.com. Except for not right now, because our website is down, and I don't know why. But oh, no. I'll have to look the into rain. that. You know. It's the apocalypse. When are we going to realize it's the apocalypse? Oh, there is that. Please. I don't know, but I have more bacon in my refrigerator right now than I've had in fucking ever. <laughs> Good Lord, I'm more bacon. I'm coming around to your house, Jim, for bacon sandwiches. <laughs> oh, I'll make a bacon sandwich with you. It's not, the, apocaly- it's not the apocalypse. It's just Armageddon. There we go. Mm-hmm. Armageddon mm-hmm. out of here. <laughs> On that Jim? note, Let's get out of here. Oh, here we are. Thank you, everyone, for listening. This is Liza. And we are out of here. Say your names. 
No, we already did, Liza. Oh, dang it. So this is Naked Jim. Can we please get this and over? We're out of here. <laughs> cool, cool. And we are out of here.